everybody. This is Mike Burkholder with Contra Costa News, a podcast for the people and businesses of Contra Costa County. I'm here with Wanda Wallace, a candidate for State Assembly District 11. How are you? Hi, Mark. Thank you. I'm doing well. Thank You're you for well? inviting me. So uh, how this came about is I met you a couple days ago at the Oakley Chamber of Commerce meeting, mm-hmm. and I thought it was hilarious that you were willing to talk to anybody in the room. You didn't know anybody. You went up to the Oakley mayor, who's a self-proclaimed socialist, and just <laughs> had a conversation. And it was great. And I'm like, all right, I got to bring her on talk to her because, yeah. you know, that Assembly 11 race has been very quiet, especially on this side of the hill, because, I mean, let's be honest, that district map is the most ridiculous map in all of California. It's like you're the stepchildren. <laughs> so in, in for people of Oakley, Discovery Bay, Byron, Bethel Island, Knightson, we're grouped in, and this is absolutely nuts with this district. Vallejo, all the way up to Fairfield, Dixon. Uh, I think it goes just below Davis, back down to Rio Vista, into Contra Costa. And, and Benicia. Just, it starts at the Benicia. Oh, and group. Benicia. Yeah, it starts from Benicia to Dixon, and then Rio Vista, and then back up here. So we have apparently a common interest with Benicia, Vallejo, Davis, no, no Davis. Davis. Just below Davis, but uh-huh. it's a it's a weird district. It is. They just redistrict. Before the last election, it went to Pittsburgh and yeah. included all this, and so that's no longer in there. Pittsburgh, Antioch, Brentwood are no longer. Yeah. So it was. It's a weird drawn line. Um, so anyway, I wanted to talk to you because I was like, all right, I got it. Anybody that's willing to go just anywhere and talk to anybody, like, cool, let's talk. <laughs> I didn't know it was really that dangerous. <laughs> no, it's fine. And and I know later you'll be out in Discovery Bay talking yes. to some people. Mm-hmm. Um, let's give a little bit background about you and, and kind of, I know you're a real estate agent. Yep. Um, what's your background? I've been a realtor for over 20 years. I uh, Before that, I was in uh, sales. I worked in the staffing industry. Uh, I've been mainly marketing and sales. I graduated with a degree in communications and I've been doing mainly marketing and sales and volunteer work everywhere I go. So uh, I live in Sassoon City. I'm married. I have one adult son who um, is lives over in, in the Contra Costa, Alameda County area. And I've been involved in, I'm Right now I'm involved in the uh, chamber. I've been there in Walnut Creek because that's where I started before I moved here. So I'm on the board there. I've been involved with them for over 20 years. Uh, Various nonprofits. I I like to center on seniors because I think they're really a large group of our uh, community and world. And they're forgotten. And so I put a lot of time in working with seniors. Even in my real estate, I work a lot with seniors. I'm also on the board with Alzheimer's Services of the East Bay, which is a nonprofit. I've been a board president. I'm now vice president, and I've been with them for 15 years. And we mainly do daycare uh, for and respite for families that have a person with dementia, Alzheimer's, and they need a place to leave them during the day. And The thing about that is I really love that. There are so few of those. Solano County doesn't have, I I don't know, just maybe one or two. And even in Contra Costa County in Alameda, it's two that I know of. So across the state, 
there are very few people that invest in that because you don't get a lot of, of help from the state. Well, not only that, I mean, the, the governor had a, a decent budget mm-hmm. last year where they had the big surplus. Okay, right. cool. We're going to go take care of seniors. We do all this stuff. And then what happens? He cuts. Cuts it. Yes, my board CEO for Alzheimer's, <laughs> she goes down there and uh, I tell her they run when they see her because she's down Who's there the having uh, Michelle Pope. Okay. And she is always advocating for seniors. She speaks on their behalf all the time. And she's she's done this a good 30 years. So. Yeah, the aging population is just getting the, the shaft in all of these policies. It's the focus is like, you know, your most important focus is you're forgetting about it. And mm-hmm. you're going to have a major financial problem in the future if you don't start addressing it. I feel there are two groups that are majorly forgotten, and that is the seniors and the veterans. Oh, the veterans are getting yeah. the shaft by All the far. Way. Yes. So, um, cool. So, you're doing all that. Uh, any other political boards you're on? Any? What else are you doing? You know what? This is the first time I decided to run for office. I've been approached many times throughout the years. Oh, you should run for office. You should run for city council or this or that. And I just never had a desire to do it. It wasn't that I didn't feel I was capable. I was busy doing other things, working my real estate, working with seniors. So it didn't come up for me. Yeah. And then, so you decided to run, like, what was the final thing that made you want to run? I, I decided late. Actually, I registered on the 14th, I think 13th or 14th of October. And I started looking. I'm always following bills that are coming out in politics. Then I started looking really closely and things that were happening in our district and things that weren't happening. And I decided to pull the voting record of the incumbent. And it was Lori Wilson. Yeah. And I was like, this is amazing, <laughs> not in a good way either. And I, since I know her personally, I contacted her and I asked her to explain a couple of things. And she explained, and I didn't feel comfortable with that. And then other people talking to others that weren't comfortable with the way that she was voting and the bills that she was writing. So I decided at that time, maybe she needs a challenger. Here and that's how I got in. So I think her last one, she had a free ride, right? Nobody ran against her, right? Well, initially, how she got into the office was she was the city mayor of Sassoon, and I supported her when she ran twice for city council. Second time she got it. Did you work on her campaign? I worked on her campaign with her, and so I fully supported her. Let me let me back up. So how define how you worked on it? Uh, past going door to door. Okay, so you, so you helped. Yes, I did help and and donations and I was always there with her rallies so I was fully behind her and then I was behind her when she uh, ran for mayor that was all the way I was backing her and then after she became mayor I started seeing differences in our values and just things that I didn't think were going well for the city and right now, the city, uh, Sassoon City, is not in a good place financially. And it was better before she became mayor. <laughs> spend, spend, spend. I could say the same thing about the city of Antioch before its current mayor, but we'll yeah. go 
somewhere else on that. Yes. Um, now, are you, I'm assuming you're Republican, correct? I'm Republican. And you were supporting basically a Democratic mayor. Absolutely. And it's an apolitical seat. Like, I get that. But you thought she was good for the community. Well, I, I'm i a Republican. I've been a Democrat. I'm just My, politically confused these days. Yeah. I, I, I just said both sides are crazy. I want the middle. So that's where I am. That's why I was open to vote. I don't vote party. I vote for who I feel is honest, sincere, and going to do the best job for the most people involved. But what, but okay. So saying that you get into Sacramento and I think this happened to Lori is that you get into Sacramento, then you got to be part of the team and the machine. And a lot of her votes just are down the democratic line. I don't think she's gone. No, on the other side at all. No, she didn't vote (laughs) or she's absent, which I mean, I understand she had cancer. I get that. Like, no, you know, handle your health. Cool. But she was there for most of the votes. Yeah. So, um, all right, so you decided to run, and it kind of looked like, and this is just outside looking in because I don't know that much about you. It's like they kind of made you this far-right winger just based on your endorsements. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you, I went to other, um, even people in the party, and I asked them to if they would be willing to support me or sit down and talk about how they could support me, and they were, nope, we can't do that. We have to back the winner. You don't know me. <laughs> you know. So that was a little discouraging. And But it's a game, though. I mean, it's part of it. Well, that's when I started noticing when you hear about the swamp. And I said, oh. even at this level, even at the lower level, we're not talking Washington. It's pretty messy. Oh, yeah, it's California. It's a California virus. But, you know, so I'm. I'm just going to go through the numbers so that everyone kind of sees this, right? So you had, and I'll start from 2012. Okay. So, and this is how hard it is for a Republican to win. Oh, yeah. Jim Frazier got 62% against Mike Hudson from Sassoon, uh, who I just thought Mike came out as a complete right-wing nut, so he had mm-hmm. no shot. Mm-hmm. Then you had a 59% win for Frazier against Alex Henthorne, who had no business running. You had uh, Frazier at 64 percent in 2016 against Dave Miller, who was also a pompous ass and far right. Then you had uh, Frazier 61 uh, percent against Lisa Romero, who wasn't a serious candidate. And then you had 64 percent against Deborah Schwab, again, not a serious candidate. And then Lori Wilson basically had a free ride in 2022. I was there, actually, when he handed her position yeah. so so, so how do you get how do you break that 10 percent margin that the democratic party has had on this district for the last decade well i'm looking at just hearing what people are saying people are dissatisfied and it has nothing to do with a party it has to do with what's happening to them and what's not happening for them and my position is i want to be not right not left. I want to be in the middle where everybody is coming to the table, not just this is for us, the Democrats, or this is for us, the uh, Republicans. You know, you kind of want a world, I think a long time ago, it used to be where they all got together and decided on what was best for the people involved, their constituents. And now it's gotten away from that. And I'm finding it's more of a power. People just want what it's going to benefit them. And if you don't benefit them, it doesn't work. 
even uh, approaching people to support me, they don't want to go against the hand that's feeding them, even though it may not be right and it may be kind of sneaky what they're doing, but they want to keep their money and their position. But, there's a, but that's the problem. You have a lot of problem profiteers in California, and I'm not knocking the good nonprofits. I'm not right. knocking oh, no. the people that have their hearts in the right spot. And I understand people also need to feed their families, but you're not using good matrix to continue funding bad programs. And so when I decided to run, I thought, okay, a lot of people want this as a career. They want to, you know, come in young and, and go out when they throw the sheet on them. Sure. That is not my intention. I saw a need to change some things for the better. And I decided that I would run so that I could try to make a difference in what people were crying for. You know, right now, people okay, are so crying what for was better. That? What was that? What do they want better? They, they're they tired of crime that has just gone out of, you know. You know what? And I'm sorry to cut you off. I mean, yesterday was huge. <laughs> oh, London Breed. The Oakland. And, well, you have that too, but you had London Breed, Mayor of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. You had the mayor of San Jose, oh gosh, I forget his Mahan or something. They both came out with Prop 47 reform support. See? That is nuts to me. That's number one. That's and one then of the two on two, my ballot. And then you've got Newsom sending these 120 cops to Oakland and the East Bay. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, oh, we're going to also send district attorneys or attorneys to help Oakland district or uh, Alameda County district attorney to help prosecute. Now, the retrospect of that is, does the crime then move to Solano County and Contra Costa? Because now they're focused on Alameda. I don't know the answer to that, but it's something for people to think about. But it's weird how now all of a sudden we've overcorrected with Prop 47. Now we want to come back. Right. And that's one of the things. Well, Uh, forget uh, our record. We're going to change it back. Yeah, because the people are crying for something People are pissed. And they want to stay in office again. (laughs) And that was my thought even before they said that. Because on my platform, I referenced Proposition 47 to work with the people that are in the Assembly and the Senate now to help repeal that part. Because that wasn't, you know, a lot of people don't even know. Proposition 47, what it did was took a felony, which was usually at 250 well it was at 250 and it moved it up to 950 yep. but also that was done in 2014 it left it open until last year that you could appeal so if you were uh convicted of the lower yeah. amount before you could appeal it yeah it's crazy <laughs> and now i just saw something and i'm going to look into it a little more but i believe they made it open ended now so there's no limit it doesn't expire well and that's the thing like i like some of these reforms that are coming where it's like no we're going to now accumulate all the things you steal so once you add up to 950 yes cool like i mean it should never have left 215 250 either but at least they're doing some minor tweaks. But here's what the problem is. People still have that that mentality of walking into stores and just taking what you want. I know store owners, and they said they just walk in, grab everything they want, and there's nothing anybody can did you, do. Did you see that video of the governor uh, asking the store clerk, how come you're not stopping this person? And the store clerk with a dead face, well, our governor made it so that we can't stop them. And he's looking at her like she's crazy and not knowing that he's the governor. It was the greatest video ever. 
that is, and it's true. People get um, terminated from their employment because of trying to prevent it. And then when the stores decide to pack up and leave, all of a sudden it's So they're horrible. the bad guys. They're in and out and Denny's are the bad guys in Oakland. Yeah, everybody, Targets, Walgreens, they're all bad. But why because didn't the community get together? And they know this is happening every day. So instead of protesting after the store leaves, why didn't they get down there and tell the thieves, you can't come in here in our community and do this? That's And that's the thing is like nobody got together. And I like that they're doing it now in the state assembly with the um, uh, – retail theft committee that they're working on. I mean, I think it's completely garbage that they even have to do that. Like all those bills were just killed before it even got it to an actual assembly vote. I mean, what's your thought on how the assembly public safety committees operated in the last two years? I mean, I it's a joke. I don't think they did anything. You know, I feel, and as assembly member, I want to go out to the community and hear what people have to say. How can I write bills? And sign on to bills, and I don't even know what my constituents want. I've never been to anything in the community. They don't even know who I am. I want to make it a point that I go to every city, to all the mayors, to the police chiefs, and find out what is needed. Because as your assembly member, I can bring money back to my district also. So now if I don't know what's needed out there, how can I do that? I'm going to do for my little pet projects, right? So, okay, so let's let me ask this a different way, and this is a very blunt question. Sure. Are you for the criminal or the victim? <laughs> the victim. I think, oh, that was another bill, <laughs> uh, the slavery, anti-slavery for people in prison that um, were being treated like slaves. Well, they should get money for working, but I think the money should go into a victim's fund because you've victimized these people. They've lost everything. They've lost loved ones and you get to do, you know, three, four, yeah, five but then that's years ago funded though. No, no, no. But they're getting paid something anyway. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, but who's money. paying them? The com- if they're working for a company, they should be paying them because these people are doing things outside. You know, they're working and some of them, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So once they're out, then okay they should there should always be a victim's fund they should not be able to just get off free yeah. i did the crime and now that's over and i can go back it seems more. like every it seems like to me the mainstream media is just in love with these like criminal benefit bills or benefits the criminal and it's like what the hell is wrong with the media because they seem to make it seem that the criminals are the victims and that's why they became a criminal because of being a victim yeah. You said something really interesting a minute ago about you want to go around to the district, talk to the chiefs, the council members, the mayor, the people, right? right? In this kind of a weird district that is so big, so diverse, different issues. And this is not a knock on Lori at all. Um, I've seen her a couple times, but she just does not get down here enough for Contra Costa. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I understand we're a little sliver in the district. Probably not a big voting block for you, but whatever. I think, uh, and she's always been nice to me, so I got nothing bad to say about her personally. But how do you make sure that you're going to have staff and yourself oh. understand the issues that's in Contra Costa specifically, because that's most of my audience. I, I know some of yours will now mm-hmm. hear this out there, but how do you make it around the whole district? Well, I think it starts with, first it starts with me, and then I have to have staff that are like-minded. 
because I hear the complaints and I've experienced it too when you call on uh, senators, uh, assembly members, and you don't get a phone call back and the staff is really rude. I vowed that I will never have rude staff. I can't say I will never have, but it won't continue because ultimately I'm in charge. So I want people to feel that they can come. They can come to the office, the district office. They can write in. They can phone in. And I don't want anybody's voice to be unheard. Not that I could go and talk to every single person because, you know, that's just not possible. But at least I could have uh, put on events where anybody that wants to be a part and wants to come and um voice whatever it is that's going on in their community, their city, or something they feel needs to be addressed, that there should be a forum for that. Yeah, I just, uh, Lori's visits are so far in between, it's kind of useless, if you ask me. Well, I think Um, it could be set up, like, in Contra Costa, my district in Contra Costa, we could get all of the cities together. We, you know, because Byron is small and all the other cities. Well, Oakley's your only city. Well, no, Byron, Discovery Bay. But they're all not... Technically cities. Right, but communities. Yeah. We could bring everybody together yeah. and, and hear what they have to yeah. say. Because if we want to go visit you, if mm-hmm. you're elected, or if we want to visit even Lori, we got to take a bridge. Right. You and that's go, expensive. You got to go to Sassoon. It's expensive. Right. And, you know, you have this idiotic plan that wants to raise the bridge tolls. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, and this was last July another or August. Tax, another tax. Last July or August where, okay, finally it is, was agreed upon that it would be paused. And then the announcement from Scott, Senator Scott Weiner of San Francisco comes mm-hmm. out and goes, I'm going to be working with Assemblymember Lori Wilson on a new plan to raise <laughs> the bridge. Till, I'm like, late. that's when I knew, okay, somebody's got to run against Lori. They may not win. but I'm Come on, the bri- why are you guys going to do the bridge tolls for BART? Like, What? It's always another tax in some form that they want to impose on us. Uh, you know, Scott Weiner comes out with a lot of crazy bills, in my opinion. I wonder if he just works overtime at night thinking, what else can he think of? I mean, drink up, drink till 4 a.m. I'm cool with that. <laughs> but again, San Francisco's set up where they have the public transportation. But a bill like that isn't going to work out and say nights in or over. well because too we're all driving at, everywhere i was going to say look how far people have to drive the gas alone is enough to put a lot of you know burden on people as far as their finances and now you're going to raise the bridge toll again we don't even have people sitting in there anymore yeah i mean the bridge thing to me is like a non-starter because it it, it and this gets into conspiracy theory that i'm not going to get into <laughs> but it really, when you really look at all the bills and the the stuff they're trying to ram down, is they really don't want you traveling more than that 20 miles outside of your city. That's it. So where are you going to work? Correct. Hop on BART or bus, but the, they're the, doing little weird things that makes you really want to think for yourself, but you don't want to believe it. Like, I don't want to believe it, but there's too much coincidence. And you look, and like, I'm not a conspiracy nut at all, right? Because you look, what is the reason for this, and you can't come up with a good reason. Like, so that was the that was telling to me that she's willing to even look at this, and I I think she needs a reality check that her district probably doesn't want increased bridge tolls. Absolutely, given not. that 
the way Solana is positioned where they need to come down into the Contra Costa, San Francisco, Alameda, mm-hmm. or the other way. Right. Like, no. But they're putting toll lanes that way. Oh, so you guys get tolls that way. <laughs> so you can pay to go to Sacramento. Um. All right, so let's go down your website. So you say that your issues are traditional family values. Can you elaborate on that? Well, because I know when you mention far family values, it's like a curse, like, oh, you're far right. Okay, cool. No, it's not. <laughs> Actually, it is not. But I think um, parents need to have more say on what's going on in the schools. And for a long time, parents just sent their kids off to school and just assumed the school was teaching them, you know, the basics to go through school and then later on go to college. Well, when COVID came upon us and there was uh, home learning, you know, first the Zoom, parents are passing by and the Zoom and they're going, wait a minute, what are you guys learning here? And that's when they became fully aware. And the school boards now, I think, are more political. They seem to have an agenda, and it's not in line with the parents. And parents are saying, we just want our children to be educated. We don't want you to put your values on our children. You don't want, we don't want you to pass rules in the schools and have laws passed that well, the, we the, don't know what's going on in the school. Well, the problem I have with the school boards is they've, they've bowed down to Sacramento, where Sacramento's implementing these bizarre bills. And, right. I mean, I, and I there's too many to get into, but school boards are not pushing back. Like, we're not going to implement this. And when they do... They're sued. They're sued. You got Tony Thurman going into these meetings. Mm-hmm. He's getting thrown out, and then it's a national issue. But if more school boards just rejected this nonsense and got back to reading, writing, and arithmetic... Right. We might actually have some smarter kids and said uh, some people I would that are challenge. Not. I would challenge parents to actually go to the schools and ask for the curriculum and see what they're teaching. And they can not, do they should do that with the sexual education program that's coming too. That starts at kindergarten and uh, the books and I talked to a gentleman and he said that I was for banning books. That is not true. I mean, here's the thing. I, I have a lady in Brentwood that's requested all the books, right? Mm-hmm. Or the curriculum, I should say. Right. And they've specifically put in there, if you share this out, take photos, we will sue you for copyright. So my question is if On it's- a public school. So my thing <laughs> is like, that can't be right. And, and she showed me and I'm like, yeah, but it's public fun. Like you're not, you're sharing with what's in there. So I said, post it because you can't get sued for that. Right, it's public you're sharing. Experience. You're sharing public information that kids are going to. So that's just part of the problem is they don't want to be transparent. No, not at all. And this is the Brentwood School District, so. and it's all over. And that's why that's why so many groups are are popping up that are fighting the school boards because the school boards. If you go there, what are what were they called? I think they were labeled as domestic terrorists. Yeah. And you're trying to find out what's going on with your child in the school and what you're teaching my child. Parents have the right to teach their children, not the school. The school is supposed to educate them. But that's why, you know, people during Zoom figured out, oh, being I could teach them from home if this is what they're doing. More and more parents. So you have more homeschooling now than ever, and then you have parents that are getting together. Hey, you're good at English. 
we're going to do this. You have, you're good at science. You're good to teach all the kids this. And they're kind of sharing the load. And these kids are actually getting a better education because you're not distracted on a bunch of nonsense. And I, I and this is not a knock on any of the teachers. No, the teachers, teachers just want to teach and they want, their hearts are in the right spot. Now you got a, a few ridiculous teachers, but, right. but it's a small percentage. Most of them want to teach. But I was on a, a, a meeting this week, and there were teachers there, and they were telling us about what the unions are requiring them. So it goes beyond the school board. It's the unions, and the unions fund a lot of things. So most of their a lot of the money goes into basically the Democrat Party. So you have like AB 1078, which prevents school boards from saying no to removing LGBTQ or critical race theory curriculum in books. Lori voted for that. Right. What are your thoughts on something like that? I think that is what parents should do. You should not have a teacher because how do I know what that teacher is actually? I don't mind my children knowing that these things exist, but don't put your values on my children. Let them grow up and get their own values. I mean, you got Lori supported the, the all gender restrooms in every public school. Which I don't agree with because how are you going to vet these people? A boy could say he's a girl. He still has his boy parts. And that's been found that some of them had other intentions when they went into the girls' bathroom. Yeah, I mean, you could, like I said, like, and see, I don't mind some of the bills, like requiring mandatory kindergarten. That's not a bad thing. Right. So it's just when they go too far, that's where then I get a problem. When you start confusing the children. Because I, I think all the all these conversations about sex education they should be um, critical but not, race, but dude, do it when you're 18. I don't think you should have graphic illustrations of how to have sex <laughs> when you're in elementary school. Yeah, or who I, you should have sex with. Yeah, I agree. Um, the other thing that really bothered me it was one of her first bills, and it had to do with um, the gender affirming bill for kids i think ab957 i'm sorry yeah 957 which basically tells parents you have to agree with your child mm-hmm. um whether they're male female trans whatever they want to be like and i don't really care at any age it doesn't matter but, it could be a five-year-old but if you don't agree with your child you then are placed with the other parent that agrees with the child Correct. which is weird you can be you can lose your parental rights and it depends on how egregious they feel that you are if you're putting the child's mental health as well as physical health and so in jeopardy. Would you ever support a bill like that? Absolutely not. Because I don't think it's the school. How can you, how can you make a blanket bill for every single family in the state? You don't know their circumstances. For all you know, the mother could be trying to get back at the father. The father could be trying to get and back just have at the, the play, mother. Have the child play along? Yes. They, that could happen. <laughs> Parents have a great influence over their children. So I could not because you don't know every single family. And if you're telling me that I need to affirm a five-year-old who, do they really know their mind? A five-year-old. You have 25-year-olds who don't even know their mind. Exactly. So I think these kind of things should be age appropriate. And I think when the child gets 18, then the law says they can make their own decisions. 
on a lot of things, not everything, 21. Isn't it amazing that you have to be 21 to buy alcohol and cigarettes, but you can be five or 10 and decide what gender you want? That's amazing. I People probably don't know this. I was carded for buying at a, at a gas station recently, buying a lottery ticket. I went in to buy a lottery That's ticket. That's a compliment. <laughs> well, no, not really. But I went in to buy a lottery ticket, and I didn't know that you had to be 21 to buy a lottery ticket. I thought it was 18. He said it was 21, No, it's 18 for a lotto. But he asked me for my ID, and I'm saying, wait a minute, I've never, ever, he goes, points to this little sticker and says, it's the law. So to buy a lot. Oh, of you tea. know what? They did change that law where they need the ID if you look. Yeah, like I but look eight under eighteen. Okay, thank so I get away with it because I've had gray hair since I was like twenty. <laughs> but that was the first time in my life anybody's ever said that, and I'm thinking you're going that far to make that a law. Yeah. Yeah. Um. What about all this uh, abortion, uh, female products everywhere? I mean, okay, and this is healthcare and, and the family values is one that um, products is one that bothered me just recently. You're spending all of this money to put feminine products in the boys' bathroom, and in some schools, the boys have been ripping them off the walls. I saw that recently in an article where the principal says, "We know who did it, and we're going to address it with them personally." You spend money for that. And yet you don't have enough money for educating. Why? That's not that important to put that in the boys' bathroom. I don't agree with that. I I think we're just we're emphasizing too much on sex, I think, and sexual preferences. When children should be focused on learning what they're gonna need to go out into world to take care of themselves and to help the whole world. Yeah, I mean, it's too much identity politics. Right, and your and gender is not going to, it's not going to dictate how you help the world And then what? Yourself. And then what about all this, like, you know, out-of-state abortion, come in, do all that, we're paying for it? We should definitely not be paying for anybody's abortion. If California has that, that's from the governor. He's doing that, but why should we, the taxpayers, be paying for that? And inviting people, come here and kill your baby. Because we welcome you. No. It's bizarre. Like, it like I'm not going to tell a woman what they can or can't do. Absolutely. Now, do I agree with it? That's my decision, yes or no. I'm not going to screw that out. But that's for each person to decide. Each person needs to make that decision. And like you said, you can say your opinion on it, but ultimately it's going to be up to that. But I definitely don't think that we should take tax dollars. We're in a $68 billion deficit. The governor likes to call it 38, but real numbers say higher. Yeah. And then we want to pay for things like that. Yeah. What about the magic mushrooms that Scott Wiener wants to do? And <laughs> I mean, it could be fun. God, it, it, that's why I said, what does this man do in the middle of the night that he comes up with this stuff? On a scale of 1 to 50, if we polled people in the state, how high do you think that would go as a priority of something they really want to see? Magic mushrooms? Yeah, for most people. Maybe 1%. If that. If that. Yeah, 
So that's why I wonder with all the things that are going on in California, all the, the needs that we have, and you're thinking of something like that that does not. And here's the thing. I think when you're a legislator, you should legislate to work for the majority of the people. You can't touch everybody. You're n- everybody's not going to be happy with whatever it is you do. Uh, but how many people is that touching? So, in, in other words, that looks like you're over here what they always don't like, pandering to a small p- little group. Yeah, I just, I want to know who gets to be the expert on administrating that. Like, <laughs> is that now a chief of party position where you just get to hand out the magic mushrooms? Uh, Could be fun. <laughs> I mean, I don't agree with it because we already have a DUI problem in the state. We Correct. already have people driving under the influence of marijuana, weed, whatever you want to call it. Like, I don't mind. Like, look, if anyone wants to do drugs, that's on them. Do we it have in your cannabis house. Jobs popping do it in up your own everywhere. house. Do yeah. it in your own house. Cool. But don't. Do it out in public. Don't shoot up in the streets. Don't shoot up, you know, anywhere. Just do it in your house. My, my, my question on that bill was, how does that help anybody? How does it enhance? Because they, some of these Democrats fundamentally, fundamentally believe people can change. And yes. How am I going to change being a drug addict? Exactly. Some people do change, thank God. You know, good right, for them. But if you're offering, but it a to majority me. of people under addiction do not change. Well, no, I believe people can change because I've had it in my family. I mean, people that were hopelessly on drugs and God, it was like a miracle that sure. came out. So I have but nothing. But most people them. won't change. It, well, bills like that seems like it's encouraging them. Correct. So you're not you're, this whole idea of weeding people off. No, you're just prolonging it later. Because if you, if you want to cut them off, cold turkey, and they're going to suffer for a year. And then you need to have programs to help them. Yeah. So it's like, okay, so like. Effective. Like the, wait a minute. Effective programs that help. What I think is happening, we're not holding our um, leaders, our legislators. Mm-hmm. We're not holding them accountable. They they just go off to something else and they're ne- and we're saying well what about this that you know you said we need to do you wrote this bill but you're not even accountable so okay so we'll, this will be a good transition into the homeless thing because i've seen three presentations in the last 2 weeks regarding homeless services and, and mm-hmm. when i say people on addiction and or their habits don't change this is kind of where I'm pulling it from because you've had these nonprofit workers, God bless them, they're they're doing incredible work with little resources, and I couldn't do it. But mm-hmm. when you say you have to approach the person over and 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 no, and I could keep going, <laughs> and then maybe they'll change one day. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a good use of funding. No, I don't think so either. I think there, again, this starts at the top with accountability. And where is the money going? We just saw that in the last six years, uh, California, the governor has allocated $22 billion, not million, but billion dollars. Billion dollars. To homelessness. 44,000 in homeless person. And that's and it's increased by 43%. So how do you increase throwing that much money? That seems... It just doesn't seem like it's possible, right? If you're because you have people that don't want to solve the problem, they want to get paid. I think the money is going to programs 
that aren't Pro- effective. Problem profiteers. Yes, they're not effective. And then when you see somebody got $5 million and they helped, you know, 50 people, that doesn't seem like a very productive way to spend $5 million. I think we need to look at, at organizations, nonprofits, not the government, because the government doesn't seem to manage things well, uh, nonprofits that have an effective track record. Do you know any that, like, and I'm just off the top of my head, like, do you have any nonprofits that are doing a good job? In the homeless? Yeah, in, in Solano or out in Contra Costa? Well, right now, I that's one of the things I wanted to look into to find out who it is. So I'll have a team that finds out who's being most effective. But shouldn't the state already have that data? I mean, that's what drives me nuts. You know, City of Hope, it's a church, and they have a good program to help, you know, people get off drugs and homelessness. So there are programs out there that are not run on millions and billions of dollars that are very effective. Because they actually want to solve it, and they want to help. They're not, And I think give us the money, give us the money. Right, and that was one of the, the points that I wanted to make, that in meeting with the community, you could find out who's being effective and put money towards those and have them grow their outreach. Because if they're doing it right, they can train other people's people to do it right. Well, I think the governor should call City of Antioch because they solved homeless with their 82% success rate, which is complete garbage data because they, well, we hit 82%, but we're not going to give you any of the background data. See, really, guys? You know, I talked to the uh, police in Vacaville, and their homeless rate, they said, is lower than than Vallejo and Fairfield and other cities because they have a program where they know all the people. So they have a um, clinician that they can take out with them for people with mental health issues. And so they know them by name and they make contact every day because homeless have to trust you in order for you to say, you can't just walk up and say, I want you to go into this program. They're not going to do that. But if you identify people, get to know them, then you can steer them towards programs that could help them and put them back in society. And another thing I found is homeless people, there are some people there that have been homeless for, you know, decades. But a lot of people are not. It's just because of COVID, losing their jobs. Those people can be helped almost immediately with programs. The long-term and the long-term drug addicts, that's a little more difficult. But I think we ought to put a lot more resources in the people that can be helped right away. And so, according to the data, 90 homeless in Vacaville? They don't have very many. I, I mean, that's... That's low. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's the thing. Like, you, if PD can build the relationships, at some point it will help. But you're not throwing all that extra money on the side to others. But you know what? the um, They said one thing that helps, too, is because they have a full-time person, a clinician, that can go out and assess people. When the police call, they say, hey, you know, Mary, we need you out here at this. They go out with them. But the problem with that program is they're only uh, – the Board of Supervisors, I believe – allocates the money to them, and they don't just give them enough money to hire a permanent full-time person. So they've got to keep going back and getting more money. Well, if I'm doing that job, I don't want to be a temporary person and now 
oops, everybody's coming up for election. We don't know if we're going to give you any money for next year. So well, that's what Martinez did. Martinez actually hired a, an, a second person to help mm-hmm. with their their homeless, and they work. With I think them. they need a permanent person, not a contract person, because those are contract people. Yeah. No, but I mean, Martinez had to do it. They're just yeah. too overworked. Um, moving down the this whole thing on human trafficking. Now, I understand the Assembly Public Safety, and this is Public Safety Committee, killed the bill to um, basically add uh, human trafficking as a serious felony. How do you think that bill was handled just from the start? I think it was horrible because... That is an ec- epidemic now. I know personally. See, because I can speak from this personally. I have a cousin that she's a lot younger. So when she was 13, she was picked up on the streets of L.A. And we didn't know what happened to her. And then after a few years, she would appear and she was allowed to come and visit for a little bit. And then she'd disappear again. For 15 years, she was held captive by a trafficker and his mother. So I know that personally. And so how'd she get out? She got out because it was really, it was really crazy. She got pregnant and she was pregnant by her captor. And he insisted that she get an abortion and she refused. She says, no, I won't. And he couldn't make her get one, I guess. So she, she did not do it. He let her go. It was like a miracle. He let her go. And she had twins, and they're like seven years old now. And when she, when he let her go, there's a church in Southern California, Saddleback Church, and they help a lot of women uh, get back into society, help them, you know, with housing and jobs. And she got into their program. And it's amazing. Her story is amazing. It is so tragic, too, because people, if she told everybody what really went on, people would not be able to believe it nor handle it. She even said to me once, she calls me auntie, she goes, you don't want to know. I said, no, I don't want to know. I've known enough by what you told me, what happens. She was all over the whole country. Some of them are taken out of the country. She says, I've had people stab me. I have people try to shoot me, beat up, just... And for them to not make that a felony, I don't care if it's your first strike. If you get caught trafficking any person, you should go to jail forever. I, see, I think just off the people. Yeah. We don't need them. Well, I can't go that far. And I, say and that. I, but I, <laughs> but see, I'm not worried. I'm not worried about an election. That's just right. my personal view. Is we don't need modern day slavery. Like we don't need you. You know, and it's you know, my. My cousin is just by the grace of God because she's not messed up. You know, a lot of them, she said, they do drugs. They're just, they turn into prostitutes out on the street. You know, well, that's what they have them doing. But she got out, and now she spends her time working for nonprofits. Right now she doesn't have a job. And what she does is amazing because she's really smart. She went back to school, got her AA. And this hasn't been that long because her kids are only like seven years old. And she's done that, and she um, works with helping people in inner cities learn how to vote. She has groups. She does the bill traf- tracker, and she interprets those because she's really smart. And I want to help her in any way that I can, and I have her coming up on uh, 
podcast at my Alzheimer's because we deal with a lot of different things. And so that and Mark, that might be somebody that you could interview because she's uh, she has a lot to say and she would be the first to say no, no trafficking. Yeah, I, I'm just the trafficking thing bothers me because it's it's a it's a topic that everybody should be united on. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, some legislators think it's OK to protect traffickers. Now, I, I just, it's just bizarre to me that I, is, I don't get it for that alone, because they, oh, that, there are no words for anybody that could buy on to something like that. Like I said, I know it up close and personal. And it's and and my cousin, she still has like PTSD, you know, because how can you not? You're never not going to have it with that. I mean, you're always you live 15 years with that. You're, it's always going to be there. It's just like I said, and, she's amazing that she can and, even function. <laughs> and just to clarify, Lori did vote to support the bill. It was an 80 to 0 vote, but she didn't say anything to get it moved forward. She kind of remained silent. Mm-hmm. Um where are you at with the gun issues? I mean, do you do you think there's a compromise or just hands off guns? Well, here's the way I look. Uh, I think guns, that's our Second Amendment right. Mm-hmm. And the way they're making people villains that have guns, uh, every single year there are more laws come out, but they're, they can't directly take your Second Amendment right sure, away. They're just going to tax the hell out of you. So they tax <laughs> uh, if you get certain kind of bullets, they cost more. If you've, you know, now if you and I are married and I have, you know, I have a license to have a gun and I have guns that are permitted, you have guns. If I say you had your gun and somebody was breaking in our house and, and you dropped it or whatever and I picked it up and used it, I'm not licensed for that gun. Do you know that's against yeah, the law? Yeah, stupid. That is totally crazy. Not only that, you and I could have an argument and all of a sudden I'm crazy. They could come in and take my guns. Exactly. Which is like, what? And then good luck getting it back. Well, here's the thing. All these stringent laws that they want to make on gun control, who, who are the people that are using guns to kill other people in the street, to break into houses. They're not the licensed gun owners because they know who you are. It is the criminals. But yet... And the ghost guns. Yes. We will have no guns, but the criminals will still have guns. So how is that helping yeah. society? I don't... And see, here's the thing. With, with guns, you want to have a gun? Cool. Yeah. But do we need automatic, semi-automatic rifles? Do we need the ARs? Do we need all that? That's the debate. And, that know, is the debate. Which, okay, fine. It's a healthy debate. But we, we can't even have a healthy debate because if you have one, you're automatically the devil. Right. But the and, criminals still and the media likes that, And the media likes to portray that. I don't think there's anything wrong with um, uh, somebody that, I don't want to say this. There's nothing wrong with anybody that has a gun to have to go through training. There's no, nothing wrong with somebody that really is mentally incompetent or insane they shouldn't have guns. Like, we could agree on some of the stuff, but to automatically take away, no. No, I don't think so. Um, another touchy topic that I think is really an interesting thing is reparations. And, again, you're into the identity politics, and I understand the argument. I understand that there were laws in place that really, really did sabotage the economic productivity or wealth that could have been created over the years. I, I get all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I go back, California was never a slave state. 
Correct. You know, it's funny. Somebody uh, emailed me this past week and asked, what are my thoughts on reparations? And the, uh, I think it's 14 or 18 bills that were passed by the Black Caucus. and uh, Which well, really didn't go that far. They were actually yeah. pretty mild is what we all thought. Yeah, and Lori is the leader of the Black Caucus. She's the chair for that. Uh, and he asked me that, and I said, oh, here we go. I personally think one of the things, one of their bills, they wanted an apology to, you know, African Americans, and I wholeheartedly believe in that. Uh, people's property was taken from them, and that I don't agree with, and I believe that that property should be returned if not able to return, then they should be compensated. And they did that last year with that Southern California beach property. Right, exactly. But there are plenty of other stories like that out there. And like you said, California was never a slave state. What California was guilty of is returning slaves. So with that being said, California, if you came from Alabama, Louisiana, wherever, and your slave master were looking for you, California would hand you over. So they're guilty of that crime. But then when we come to reparations, if the slave went back, then who are we paying the reparations to? When you get into that on monetary reparations, how do we decide? If your family came here 25 years ago or 100 years ago, there was no slavery. So how do we decide? Are you going to pay into that reparation pot? And then we could go so far as uh, Mexican. Mexico is just down there. They could say, well, hey, we owned all of California. <laughs> it was ours first. <laughs> it was ours. So how do we go there? So for me, it's there are too many loose ends on that. How do you define what reparation is aside from the apology and giving people back their properties? Who gets the money? And where does the money come from? Remember, we're $68 billion in the hole. Yeah, and, it, and I mean, what if somebody that moved here, and I'm just going to throw out like Ireland or something, that right. moved here last year, now you're automatically responsible for something 100 years ago? Or that happened 50 years ago? 20 years ago? Like, what the heck? Right. That's That's the whole point. That's the whole point. How can you do this? And this person asked me when I told him what I said, and he goes, so... What bills would you pass or, or what is it that you totally agree on? And I'm saying you can't expect me to come up with a logical answer when it took them two years to come up with those bills. And isn't it like a 1,400-page document or something yeah. crazy? Like I haven't even read it. Like Yeah, I, it is. I saw the bills and I'm like, well, some of these I could actually get behind. Right. But when you start... Like the hair thing, right? Why the <laughs> hell would you discriminate against somebody where you know with hair? Because like that's stupid. Like well, because some jobs would require certain rules on. Okay, but this, this is, is athletic specifically with yes, the bill, and they'll say you know you can't wear your hair. That's our way of expression ourselves. To me, you should be able to wear your hair. No, exactly. You know, that's my wherever point. Wherever you like, want. you should be able to wear your hair. However, you like. You can't mandate somebody to wear your hair. Well, they're saying, well, what the bill was saying that you can't tell me I can't wear dreadlocks or braids or whatever I want to wear. Want to wear them, wear them. That's what, but a lot of people were saying, no, companies, organizations were saying, no, you can't wear that. So that, I understand that bill. 
Yeah, and the, and like I said, some of these aren't bad. Like, you know, amends the uh, California Constitution to prohibit involuntary servitude for incarcerated persons. Mm-hmm. You have the, uh, um, you know, make medically supportive food and nutrition interventions when deemed medically necessary. Like I Absolutely. like some of this stuff. It's basic human but, rights. But the problem is the committee came out and I think screwed their own messaging. We want to give millions of dollars to people. And it's like a, an automatic hell no. And how do you decide how much? Well, they had that whole formula, gets. which was weird. And it came out to like 300,000, 400,000. It was, it was a, a bizarre so formula. Does every African-American person in California get a portion no. of that money? No, you had to have certain requirements. So, yeah, see that? And so the problem I had with that is like, okay, so you did all these variables. How many people actually qualify is the, why aren't you given that number? Hey, under our formula that we did, let's just say. That's 50, a good point. Why? Okay, we, we figured 1,500 people qualify or 300, whatever the number is. I don't know. Why aren't you given that number? It's probably too small for the big whoopla. But you're also using this to get political favor. Mm-hmm. You're getting in the newspapers. You're getting name recognition. You're pushing an agenda. It's all about the power. It's not about common sense or the budget. Right. I truly believe that African Americans were treated unfairly. 100%. Even our even the laws on the books for crime. Yes. Totally. Was wrong. Totally. However, I don't know how you solve this in 14 bills in 2 years and it's sort of a closed thing. What about the input from outside? You I mean it could be considered. It doesn't mean that you're going to take it, but to make it more Rounded, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the rub. That's the rub. It's such a complex thing that you can't overcorrect, because then now all of a sudden it's not necessarily fair, but it's favoritism. Right. But I do believe that uh, black people were treated unfairly, totally, and it still goes on today. That's the thing. It still happens today. And people, and you have to always, it's like, um, what do we say? Uh, A lot of uh, families, black mothers will say, be careful out there, you know, because you know it's not a fair world when their sons go out. And it is true in a lot of sense, but it doesn't mean everybody you run into is going to be unfair to you. Yeah, I mean, we're all biased in the way we're raised and what we see in life. And to me, it's, you know, I get accused of a lot of things that are completely untrue, and I, I understand it. Like, I get it. People want to discredit what's actually happening out in the world, um, which is why I'm not a fan of the criminal. But I also see the bias towards the African-American community, which is wrong. Mm-hmm. But how do you fix and, – and we're totally off topic – but how do you fix it since 2020 with Black Lives Matter – without the overcorrection because you've got to undo a lot of these policies and then figure out what, what will the impact be well, on the see, change. The place that I, and come I'm speaking from, in generalizations, right? No, the place that I come back, come from is what is fair and accountability because you can't sit and say, give you all this stuff and you're not accountable. I want and that. That's from, the citizen 
up to the legislators that are in charge. Everybody needs to be accountable. Accountable, And I'm not seeing that a lot. Everybody yeah. wants what they want. But I am absolutely, like I said, uh, there are a lot of wrongs that have to be corrected, but it doesn't mean that everybody is your enemy. We just need to, you have to, this is one good example. As black people, we are always taught most that you have to be better. You have to work harder. And that is true in a lot of sense. The scale is not equal. You're not on an equal playing field, so you have to work harder. And be it unconscious bias or deliberate, but there is bias there. And so we've got to work to to make everybody more equal and not see color. That's what it is. We got to just see the people as what you mean. Listen to Martin Luther King. Correct. (laughs) Correct. That's it. Thank you very much. And this is black history month too. So, but I mean, how do, so, okay. And, and how do we remove the rhetoric so that we can have these conversations and start sharing? Because I think a lot of the problem is you have certain community groups that are just, throwing the race thing out in everyone's face and it's turning everybody off Mm -hmm. rather than changing the tone and the messaging to be inviting. Hey, come learn, come share our experiences. I'm glad you brought that up because that was one of the ideas I had. Uh, One of the bills, something about, I don't remember exactly, but interacting with police because uh, they were saying in one of those bills that um, children that interact with police don't have a good outcome at an early age. Well, I think that's totally wrong. It depends on your interaction. If you're breaking into a store and your first interaction with the police is not going to be good. But I think we should have programs in schools because that's where they it used started. to. When I grew up, we yeah. had that dare program, right? But you have programs in school. And then you had the canine officer come in and where regularly, depending on the level. So in elementary school, you have a different program than you have in, in uh, a school middle school and then senior school, but where the kids interact with the police in the younger years, they can interact with the police dog and learn and go to the police stations, go to the fire stations, have field trips there. When they get older, maybe even ride along. So that that requires effort, but that could change (laughs) the whole mentality as the police. But it comes, it comes back. I'm going to circle back to your family values of right versus wrong. It always comes back to right first. And the dinner table and having conversations. A lot of people don't have a dinner table. So that's where I think we as the community, you know, they always talk about the village. But I think as the community, the kids that don't have that at home, we need to offer something so that if they desire, they can get involved and see a different side of the world, their city, their country, than what they just see in their little small community. Sure. And, it, and it's a topic that I, I will be completely naive about in terms of the African-American community. I will never know what it's like to be a black man raised right. in this world. Like, I just will not know that. So right. I will, I admit my own naivety. There's a lot of bias too. And, you know, I'd love to learn. I'd love to, you know, just hear people's experiences um, but that's another topic. I, I want to <laughs> move on to small business support, reducing taxes and regulation. How will you work as a legislator to basically help businesses stay in business? Well, one, two, on the regulations are just out of control on small business. I'm 
being a realtor, I work a lot with uh, developers and investors, and they can tie you up over nonsense until you can go bankrupt on your project. And I think we need to work on slimlining the processes and not somebody that in the middle of the night thinks of some kind of regulation that they want to put on the business people. You are never going to grow your cities, your communities, if nobody is allowed to come there. But that had starts in the um, the local government. Well, even like I was reading the other day, San Francisco, you got 82 permits before you can even start. Right. Like, how do you even do anything on that? San Francisco is one of the toughest places <laughs> to do that. Yeah, you're just, you're not you're not allowing your city to even grow. They'll be out of money before they start the business, yeah. you know? But I think a lot, I, I'm, that's what I want to do, look into these regulations. But again, a lot of those regulations are at the city and county levels. The cities impose, uh, just in Walnut Creek, uh, I knew this business, and you get a sign put up, right? Well, you have to go through the city council to get all of that stuff. I mean, the That's city planning, planning the planning, planning commission. commission. But in the planning commission, so you decide that, okay, we're going to let red signs be a thing. The guy goes out and buys a red sign, and I come in like, that's not the color red that we said that we were going to do. Now he's bought a sign yeah. that's not the right color well, that okay, we're going to approve. So, but so then that goes back, stuff. And that goes back to the outdoor dining and all those bills and you had all these businesses invest in outdoor dining and the bar, not the bars, but the out the seating patios. Um, and now it's like, get rid of them. But I think it was Dodd or somebody extended it another few years. Like, you can't Jekyll and hide this crap. And then, too, I think on in, in cities, when they allow certain things, don't allow. I think there needs to be, because I've been going to, in my city, the planning commission's meetings and the city council. And, you know, they can recuse themselves all they want, but I think there's a little footsie stuff going on in the background. And maybe we need ad hoc committees to kind of oversee what they're doing because to make it fair. Well, I mean, it wouldn't be an ad hoc, but it'd be an actual, like, planning commission slash... Well, sometimes we need Citizens committee type thing. Right, but sometimes we might need, for specific projects, we might need just a temporary committee to do that. But then, too, yes, you're right. A city committee that oversees what they're approving yeah. or not approving. The big, and, and the best example I could give of that right now is all these um, police oversight committees with citizens. Right. And, you know, I I want to be able to support some. And I, let, me let, let me get your opinion on that first. What are your thoughts on citizens overseeing police department, use of force, and all that stuff, and policies and... I don't think it's a bad thing. I think, again, you have to get the right people in there for the right reason. If you're just getting people in there to say, well, to be activists, gonna, yeah, to be <laughs> activists, exactly, then it's not going to work. And then it's just going to tilt to the other side. But if you have a, a committee that's truly balanced, so that means you're going to have to get people from all sides and not just be an activist group that says we hate all police. Yeah, because I... I I really do want to get behind the police oversight. I really do. Mm-hmm. But are you to put those same oversight committee members through 18 months of an academy and give them the actual exposure to actually do the right thing? Because, mm-hmm. 
you go into use of force, any video, because now everyone's got body cameras. Right. I cannot think of a single use of force video that looks appropriate. <laughs> because it's like you look at any YouTube video where two people are going to get in a fight. And you look at it from it's another violent. angle. It it's, was something different. It's violent. Yeah, it is. So any use of force looks absolutely guilty. True. So how do you, I mean, and that's the problem. That is true. And there is a bill where they didn't want to use facial recognition that was authored by the incumbent yeah, and against the wishes of the police because it's not just that one piece of evidence that they have to have in order to convict somebody. Yeah. So you want it on the other side to accuse the police, but you don't want the police. You don't so, want the reverse. Yeah, so that's kind of um, Final question uh, before we close this out. This Forever California group. You know I don't have enough time for that. <laughs> I know, but, like, is that going to happen? Because I, I just, like, if you're having all this problem in Solano County, come to Bethel Island, buy Jersey yeah. Island, go do your development. That is a good idea. Maybe the next meeting that I go to, I'll uh, approach him with that. Have you guys considered <laughs> Bethel Island? It's sitting out there screaming, somebody take me on, right? Exactly. <laughs> Build so. me up. Uh, I know you got another meeting to get to, but uh, real quick, why should people vote for you and, and how could they get in touch? Okay. First, I'm going to give how you get in touch with me is my website, votewanda.com. That's my website. You can email me at wanda at votewanda.com. The reason that people should get behind me is because, one, I am not in this for a political career. All my life, I've been helping people and doing the right thing. So anything I do, I bring to the table, it's for the well-being of everybody or the most. I'm not looking to go to Washington. I just want to do a good job and help as many people as possible. I am sincere. I am honest. I have no skeletons hanging in the closet. I'm not cutting any deals with anybody. Well, the finances show that. <laughs> Thank you very much. So that's a that's a cue for uh, go to my website and press the. You're running button. for assembly with sixty one hundred bucks in the bank, <laughs> and your opponent's got six hundred thousand. Hey. That's funny to me. Well, you know, I believe <laughs> I believe in miracles. Okay, I do. I absolutely do. And I've had someone approach me. I've had a couple of people approach me with vague promises and. I didn't even get into it because I know that's a road that I'm not going down. So it doesn't matter what you're promising me because I'm not going to go down that. And I have people in my camp that hold me accountable because somebody said, well, how do I know? You know, the other people said that they were um, for the people and they were doing, excuse me, and they were for all of this other. How do I know you're not going to change and be one of them? Because after all, I didn't think she was like that because I supported her. Yeah. The reason is because I answer to a higher authority and I have surround myself with like-minded people that are also the giving, caring, and not in it for self. Yeah. And if you surround yourself with those, then you're not tempted. No, I, I agree. And, and that's where the circle around you is very important to keep you in check. Right. And uh, I'm held accountable and I want to be held accountable because, hey, you know, temptations are out there and we're only human. Right. Yeah. And so uh, just for everybody, you know, the ballots are out uh, for Oakley, uh, Discovery Bay, Byron, Bethel Island, Knightson, 
Um, Wanda is just an alternative option. And the best option. There's three. <laughs> well, I'm just to the incumbent. Uh, there's three people running for the seat. You guys will probably actually you guys are going to a general because um, two two people go. Two people will go to the general. And, you know, and I want to be the one. You've got. We know the company is. I want to be the other you've one. You've got a, a, a tough row ahead just because of the, the dynamics and the money. Right. There's two Democrats to write in. Yep. And her. And then there's a Republican that nobody can find anything. I, I, I really think he was placed there for splitting the votes. He doesn't campaign or do anything. Yeah. I've met him once. So I, just, I wanted to give everybody an, an alternate option and, and see what you were about because, like I said, I, I met you in Oakley. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what? Let's bring her in. Let's see what she's about. So I appreciate it. So, Wanda, I really appreciate it. Uh, for everyone else, do me a favor. Hit like, subscribe, and share, and visit me at ContraCosta.news. Take and- care.